Greetings in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, our blessed slaver and, and Lord. Today we're going to spend some time, speaking of controversy, talking about a, an often neglected area of teaching, which as some of you who know me know, I spend a lot of time concentrating on teaching that should have been done but never was somehow. So I end up mopping the floor a lot. <laughs> you see, anyone who's familiar with the scriptures has some notion of sin and salvation. Some notion that there is a need in humankind for the salvation of the Lord lest we drown in our sins. Those are those bad times when you realize that your life in so many ways has not gone well. And as you spend time in the scriptures, what you come to understand is the need for salvation. And if God gives you that insight, then you go to him. Christ on the cross, crucified, dead, resurrected now at the right hand of God in glory. The one who paid the price, the great redeemer, right? Unfortunately, and I say unfortunately with love, unfortunately that's pretty much where a certain number of people stay. I've been saved. What happens next? Cruise control. What happens next? Well, I'm just going to get on with things and... I guess I'll wait for God to come back. Or me to kick the bucket. Then I'll go rejoice. And that pretty much encapsulates such people's entire understanding of what salvation is all about. Because you see, salvation is not a destination, it's a launch pad. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And understanding that is critical. So we're gonna be spending some time today talking about reward and loss of reward. And this is such an important teaching in the scripture and so obvious if you've spent any time in the scripture at all that frankly I'm surprised that more people are not aware of it. Because the Lord himself makes quite clear that we were saved for a purpose. 
We were saved for an end. We were saved to do things. We were saved to go on to maturity. We were saved to help others. We were not saved to just sit around. Christ did not go to the cross and into the ground and into the sky so that we could carry on pretty much the same old way. The entire cosmos was changed. The power of the devil was crushed. The demonic ones fled. And in his resurrection, he has been given a name above all names. And a power above all power. He is the visible image of the invisible God. All that may be seen of God is seen in, in him. And to assume that somehow Christ came so that you could accept salvation and then simply walk down the road, do your own thing, show up whenever you feel like it, be mediocre your entire life, and that somehow Christ will be pleased is a massive mistake. It's not a little one, it's a gigantic one. It's so important, I don't know how our slides are gonna to work today, we'll see. Okay. Let me see. Good. There it is. We're going to start out by taking a look first at a couple of parables. One of them is called the parable of the talents. What Christ does in this parable, in this teaching, in this story, is he tells us about responsibility and accountability. Let's look at the beginning here. He's speaking of the kingdom of God, and he similarly, it is like a man going on a trip who called his servants and turned his money over to them. To one man he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, based on their ability. Okay? In other words, the Lord doesn't give the same to everyone. Some people are given more than others. But all you're held accountable for is to take whatever the Lord has given you and use it. Understand that a talent, a talent of gold, according to scholars, weighs about 74 pounds. Each talent, very significant wealth. Then the master goes out on his trip. 
The one who received five talents went out at once and invested them and earned five more. Now let's stop right there for a second. The one who was given five of these 74 pound weights, presumably the Lord also gave him a hand truck. <laughs> he goes out immediately. This one doesn't allow the grass to grow. He knows he's been given a vast wealth and a great deal of responsibility. And for the master, he's going to go out right now and see what he can get for it. And the fact is that that's a, that's a massive return. In effect, he returns, he doubles the master's earnings. Okay, the same way the one who had two talents earned two more. Is that doubling? Does it matter if it's five or two? No, both of them have doubled what their master gave them. And in each case, you have a return on the investment, we would say nowadays, that was substantial. That was according to what they had been given. You don't have to worry about whether you were given five or two or 10 or whatever. You were given something by the master. What is that something? What is this treasure? that's given by the master. I'm going to suggest to you that what's been given by the master is salvation itself. Everyone receives salvation. Now, you may be called to a higher calling, you may be called to a lesser calling, you might be a person who is a brilliant scholar, you might be a person who's a blue-collar worker. Does it matter? You have been given salvation. Notice the master does that according to the ability of the servant. This servant can handle five. That one can handle two. The one over there can handle one. But in each case, in each case, it is salvation. But the one who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and buried his master's money. Boy, how could that be? Let's see. Continuing, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Notice the long time. It's a long time. 2,000 years is a long time. But he's going to settle with all of his servants. The five, the two, the one. Regardless. That means that every one of us who is a servant of the Lord is going to answer for what we were given. 
Here's the question. This is the question that every single one of us across all time and space who are in Christ are going to answer. Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know what that question, one-on-one, you and the Lord is going to be? What did you do with what I gave you? John describes the resurrected Christ in Revelation chapter 1, the one with hair white like wool, like snow, with his garments blazing, the bronze girdle surrounded by fire, with eyes of fire. This is the Lord. This is the one who made all things. This is the source of all light. His light was the light of men. When he looks, our eyes take light in. His eyes press light out. You've never seen a science fiction movie that's going to look like Christ will look in his resurrected glory. And as we will see, you, one-on-one with Christ, are going to look into those eyes, shining brighter than the sun. How can you look into those eyes without being blinded? Because You have been glorified in him too. You are at that point transformed. You can look into his eyes without being blinded. But maybe you won't be able to look into his eyes without tears. What did you do with what I gave you? The one whose body bears the scars of the cross but looks at you with the eyes of eternity. You have not ever experienced that. There is nothing known in literature, the arts, movies, anything. Because this is no special effect. This is Yahweh, this is the I am. He is looking you in the eyes. And what expression does he have on his face as he looks at you? Is he smiling? Do you see him smiling? Do you see him frowning? Imagine that moment. Ah, it's you. Hey, you'd better listen up. I am not making this up at all. You don't think there are going to be some, there are going to be people who hear, oh, it's you.
You don't think there will be people that Christ doesn't look at with deep sorrow? I went to the Christ, went to the cross for you. You took the talent. What have you done for me? It's not a transaction. There's no way you can repay the cross. It can't be repaid. He paid what, could, what we could not repay, he paid. No, he's looking for the fruit of thankfulness and joy and the sense that we really do owe the Lord not our salvation. We, we can't pay it. We owe him our love, our eternal gratitude for the things that he did for us that we could not do for us. And he is going to ask. And if you're not aware of this, you'd better listen up. He is going to ask you if you are in him. What did you do with what I gave you? Let's continue on. So what we have here is the doubling. Says the account. Five turns into five more. Master, he said, you gave me five, I've earned five more. His master told him, well done. Good and trustworthy, sir. Since you've been trustworthy with a small amount, I'll put you in charge of a large amount. Come and share your master's joy. Is there any doubt as to the reaction of the Lord to that servant? He's smiling. The way a, a father might smile at a child who has done well. The, a report card full of A's. He's smiling. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There is joy unspeakable in pleasing the Lord. You'll live for that smile. That is infinite eternity smiling at you. You are trustworthy. You were true. You took what I gave you and you rushed out. Not to repay me, but to take what I gave you and demonstrate your trustworthiness with it. You couldn't earn the salvation. It's given to you almost as a test if you want to think it that way. What will you in advance of him meeting with us again, he says, what will you do with what I give you? And at the other end, it's, what did you do with what I gave you? Continuing. 
one with two talents. Same thing. I've doubled what you gave me. Notice he says again, well done, you good and trustworthy servant. Does the number matter? One's got five, one's got two, according to what the Lord has given them, which he gives according to their ability to handle. Some of us are given more responsibilities. Think of the Apostle Paul, for example. Great responsibilities, and eventually even giving up his life for the Lord. Is there any doubt that Paul's reward in heaven is going to be very, very great? And yet he started out as an oppressor and a murderer. So what we have here, you see, is you don't have to sit around and feel envious of someone else. The Lord doesn't ask you to compare yourself by someone else. He asks you to compare yourself by yourself, as Paul himself put it. I, I, it's, it's no big thing for anybody to judge me and compare them with something else. I don't care. I don't even bother to judge myself. The Lord's my judge. I'm working for the Lord. And if you understand what Christ and his salvation means, you're working for the Lord too. So you don't have to worry about that. Whatever you have will fill your cup. Your cup will be full. If you happen to have a larger cup, what does that mean? It actually means more work, more responsibility, as it did with Paul, more pain, more suffering, more sorrow. Christ with Peter at the Sea of Galilee said to him three times, remember? Peter denied him three times. So how many times did the Lord ask, do you love me? Three. The three offenses had to be covered by the three statements of love. And of course, Peter got more and more upset. Why? Because he's Peter. <laughs> Good old Peter. Aren't you glad Peter's in the scriptures? He's a real knucklehead. Amen. <laughs> Makes the rest of us knuckleheads feel pretty good. Fact is that uh, at the end, Peter's so flustered by this that he points over at John. He says, well, what about him? What about him? Enough of me. What about him? The Lord says, Peter, if I wanted him to stay until I returned, what is that to you? You follow me. That's what this is about. You follow me. Continue. Then the one we saw... Oh, 
Isn't that painful to look at? Look at what he says about the Lord. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't planted and gathering where you haven't scattered any seed. That's an accusation. I don't really like or trust you very much. Since I was afraid, I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Here, take what's yours and brush off the dirt. Here it comes back. My salvation comes back to you unused, but to no service at all. Continue. His master answered with him, evil and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I haven't planted and gathered where I haven't scattered any seed? We'll talk about your attitude later. Then you should have invested my money with the bankers. Then I would have at least gotten some interest. At least that. But no, because he was afraid and because he didn't particularly like his master, he took the one talent, that's 74 pounds of gold, that, that salvation he buried in the backyard. That way I can't lose it. You can't lose it anyway. You cannot lose your salvation. Get over it if you stumble over that all the time. What the Lord has given you, the gifts and calling of God are without recall. He's given you the salvation. If you are in Christ, if you believe in the risen Lord, you are not lost, cannot be lost. Your talent is yours. But what you do with it, that's something else. Let's go on. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, because to everyone who has something, more will be given. He'll have more than enough, but the person who has nothing, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Oh, did he lose his salvation? No. He lost his reward. And that is different. We've got to keep moving here. Throw this useless servant in the darkness outside. In that place there will be wailing, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Oh, that's hell, right? Nope. You need to know this if you don't know this. And ah, if you'd taken to prophecy studies, you would already know this. In the kingdom of the Lord, the west wall, the wailing wall, exists in the millennium. It's there. The people who gather in the kingdom now, saved, but who gather there are people who have not done 
much of anything with what they were given. They're not allowed to see the, the glory of the Lord directly. They cannot look through, directly down through the east gate of the temple. They cannot look down into the temple and see the glory. Others will, but they will not. Why? Because they have suffered a loss of reward. This is a place of regret. You understand something? It is possible to be saved. It is possible to be glorified, to appear before the Lord, have a very, very unhappy experience, and go into the ages to come with loss, not of salvation, but of joy. Do you see this? Do you understand what I'm telling you? This is about reward and loss of reward. And loss of reward is unbelievable regret. If you buried the talent out in the yard, you will know regret like you have never known in your life. Never. You've never experienced regret like that. You don't know what it's like to look into the fiery eyes and have him mourn over you. Didn't you do anything? The thief on the cross has an excuse. How about you? Continuing. Here's a different passage. This passage comes out of Luke 19. Different parable, same thing. Interesting. Hmm. So the first one, the parable of the talents, right? Five, two, one. In this one, we have the ten coins. Luke 19, the Lord says, the first servant came and said, sir, your coin, gives each one of them ten, right? Has earned ten more coins. The king told him, well done, good servant. Are you seeing a pattern here? Because you've been trustworthy in a very small thing, take charge of ten cities. Wow. He doubled it. He was given ten. He brought back twenty. The master says, I will put you over ten cities. He means it literally. How do you think the millennial kingdom of the Lord will be administered? It will be administered by faithful and productive saints whom the Lord has said, because you have done this with what I gave you, I will put you to administer cities. You will be judging cities. You will be the Lord's representative in that city. Continue. Second servant came and said, your coin has earned five. Good, says the Lord. 
I put you over five cities. Very responsible thing. You were responsible and trustworthy with what I gave you before. Now I will reward you. This is the reward. You make me smile when I see you. Close your eyes for a minute. Look at, look at the face of the Lord in your mind. What's the expression on his face? That, brothers and sisters, is what you have to deal with. Are you boldly confident that you are carrying on, investing in the, in the kingdom, serving the Lord? Are you productive? Are you fruitful? Or are you just sitting there? You start young, you eventually get middle-aged, then you get old. And then if the Lord tarries, you die. I was never good looking, but I was young once. <laughs> and fact is that if I had just sat upon what the Lord had given me, I wouldn't like what I saw when I closed my eyes and imagined, what does, what does the Lord think of me? Ask yourself the question, what does Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, what does he think of me? Me, nobody else, you. No excuses, no life circumstances, no rationalizations, just you. What does he think? And you will either know great joy or great regret when the time for that one-on-one -on -one meeting comes. It will be one-on-one. -on -one. It will be you and Christ alone. What did you do with what I gave you? Really? Is that all you got? Oh, you're not, you've never experienced anything like that. Because there's no escape when God asks that question. No place to run. You're trapped inside your own mediocrity. You're tra trapped inside your own indifference. Your laziness, your sloth. Your unwillingness to wrestle with the flesh, the world, and the devil. The couch looks too good this morning. Continuing. Oh, gee, where have we seen this before? Sir, look. Here's your coin. I've kept it in a cloth for safekeeping because I was afraid of you. You are a hard man. 
You withdraw what you didn't deposit and harvest what you didn't plant. Are we seeing a pattern here? The last servant always seems to have a wonderful case of really hardened heart. He doesn't like his master. He doesn't trust him. He's afraid of him. The king told him, I will judge you by your own words. Evil servant, you knew, did you, that I was a hard man? Again, sarcasm. When the Lord's sarcastic, it's the best sarcasm. <laughs> you knew that, did you? You knew I was a hard man. Pardon me while I try to go back up on the cross for you. And I did all these awful things. Well, if you were, if that's what you thought of me, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? That's not, now of course, that's not service in love. That's just guarding your hindmost parts. But the fact is, if that's what you think, you should have at least done that. And you didn't. Continuing. So the king told those standing nearby, take the coin away from him and give it to the man who has ten. <laughs> Again, to those who are truly faithful, more is added. What did Christ tell the disciples? Nothing that you have given up in this world for my sake but will be repaid a hundred times in the kingdom. A hundred times. But those who do nothing with what they have, even that will be taken from them. Everyone who has something more will be given, but from the person who has nothing, the faithless, the one who does not love the Lord, the one who does not ever seek to serve the Lord and to please the Lord. Even what he has will be taken away. That's regret. Not loss of salvation, it's loss of reward. But for the ones who are enemies, on the outside are the enemies, who didn't want me to be their king. And the story got cut off here, but he starts out with a king. And there are some who are opposed to the king. That sounds like something, right? Gee, there are some people who will not have this man as king over them. But as those who did not want me to be king, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. That that is what happens to those who are not saved. The others are about levels of reward or loss of reward of the saved. The fate of the lost is right here. Slaughter them. Continuing. 
starting in 1 Corinthians 3, we're now going to tie those two parables with the underlying truth that Paul goes through. As an expert builder using the grace that God gave me, I laid the foundation and someone else is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it. After all, no one can lay down any other foundation than the one that is already laid, and that is Jesus the Messiah. The foundation here, now he's talking about building. We're shifting from coins and talents to building. And God has laid the foundation of his great temple. And that is his beloved son himself, Christ. Paul says, we build on Christ. It's like everybody who's saved has, has at least one talent, right? Everybody who's saved gets coins. Everybody who's saved has the foundation of Christ. They're all the same thing. But it's what we do on the foundation. He says, build on the foundation. Anybody in here building? <laughs> you understand. God provided the foundation. There is no other foundation. None. And so, he says, but you build on it. Continuing. Whether a person builds on this foundation with gold, silver, expensive stones, wood, hay, or straw. Three little pigs here, see? <laughs> the workmanship of each person will become evident for the day of judgment will show what it is because it will be revealed with fire. Those eyes. And the fire will test the quality of each person's action. Two different categories of things that you might build with here on this foundation which God himself has set, which is Christ. Either you're using gold, silver, and precious stones, or you're using wood, hay, and stubble. Now, if the fiery eyes of Christ are going to be looking upon it, what category of building material should you be using? The stone is laid. What we build on it, he, he says we have two choices, right? Gold, silver, and precious stones. Or wood, hay, and stubble. Those are the two categories that we have. Now, if I know that what I build on the foundation is going to be subjected to the fiery eyes of Christ, which category am I going to try to avoid? And if you don't get this one right, you'd better make sure your insurance is good. <laughs> the fact is that wood, hay, and stubble, we know what happens. If you build with wood, hay, and stubble, when Christ's fiery eyes look at it, it's going to vaporize. Do you understand that? In an instant, it's going to be gone. Those are your deeds. Those are your deeds. You've got all sorts of deeds in your life. We're not talking sins. We're talking about things that are, the sins are covered. We're talking about the things that you do that are worthless. They were done in the flesh. They were done to please yourself. They were done ignorantly. They were done stupidly. 
They were done to indulge your own sense of satisfaction. If they were not done in the Holy Spirit, then they'll vaporize in an instant. That tall, tall, huge, gigantic stack of wood, hay, and stubble on one year. <laughs> that you're saying, wow, look what I did. Poof. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, what, when subjected to fire, what will gold, silver, and precious stones do? They're fine. They can pass through that. Matter of fact, that's what will pass through that. The things that you have done that are worthy, that are done in the Holy Spirit, the things that are done to serve Christ from a heart filled with love and humility and grace and cheerfulness, those things are going to endure because they are true. And before the Lord, they are real. And they please the Lord. And if you're seeking to please the Lord, those are the sorts of things that you should be looking to do. Continuing. See right here what he says. If what a person is built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. There's that word. Get a reward. If his work is burned up, he will suffer loss. That's the loss of reward. However, he himself will be saved. So we're not talking about salvation, are we? The scriptures say we're not talking salvation. Oh, please get over that. Don't be a doom cough. I mean, come on. Why can back? God preserve us from such infantile thoughts. He's saved, but it will be like going through fire. That's a no fun. Okay, so what we're seeing here is that, gee, I've got reward and I've got loss of reward. I'm going to let you in a little secret, something that I suspect. I suspect, you know, you read about people in the kingdom having crowns, right? Having crowns. You've heard of the crowns, right? Casting crowns. I suspect that those crowns are made out of the gold and silver and precious stones that were left when you went through Christ's evaluation. I suspect that those crowns that the scripture speak of are the crowns the truly good and worthy things that you did in your life. And your crown will be made up of those things, the things that please the Lord. I suspect that there are going to be some very great saints 
we're going to have quite the crown, some of whom might surprise you, many of whom may not be known to the world. <coughs> then there's that category of the believers who will come through this with a nose ring. Oh, God, save me from a nose ring. I'd like to have a little bit more than a nose ring, please. Or you might come through with nothing. As the passage we just saw said, saved, but as by fire. What do you have at the far side? Nothing. Everything was in the wood, hay, and stubble category. You did not do, in the eyes of Christ, one worthwhile thing your entire life. You're saved because the gifts and calling of God are without recall, but you are not pleasing to him. The little children enter into the presence of the Lord. With nothing. Someone was aborted. Somebody died three days old. Somebody died of a childhood disease. Somebody was killed by somebody. Somebody was shot by somebody nowadays. And the Lord smiles at them. Let the little ones come to me and do not deny them for of such is the kingdom of God. They don't have a story. They won't have any deeds. The only thing that they have is to awaken fully mature and cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And that pleases the Lord too. And that is their calling. No stories, but they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. But you and me, nah, we're not in that category. And some of us are real old tough tuffers. We've been around the block more than a time or two. Okay, so continuing. This is your key principle, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of the Messiah. This is in the Greek, the Bema seat. This is not the great white throne, which is the throne of damnation. This is the Bema seat, the seat of reward. It was well known amongst the Greeks, the Romans, and of course, by them, to the Jews. The Bema seat. It's a seat of reward for people who run the race, for, for the champions. It's where you receive a reward according to how well you have run that race, how well you have done with things. That's the Bema seat of the Messiah so that each of us may receive what he deserves, what he's done in his body, whether good or worthless. Remember, Christ, Christ, 
Revelation 22 says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. He fully intends to reward those who in great gratitude and love and in care and in honor do offer up their lives and do good works that are in the Holy Spirit, not based in the flesh. All of us are going to appear there. They must see all of us are going to appear. I'm going to suggest to you that it isn't long now. And I'm going to suggest to you that if the picture you have of Yeshua HaMashiach in your mind isn't smiling when you close your eyes, Hop to it. Seriously. Don't be like the servant whose heart was hard towards the Lord. I knew you were a hard man. I knew that you were just a bloodsucker who took what you didn't produce. And I'd better come through or else. Do not address the Lord that way. I'm imploring you. I'm begging you. And now my conscience is free of the blood of all of you. You now know. You're now responsible. You're now accountable. The Lord will say to you, didn't I send my reasonably not too duffo friend David to come talk to you about this once. Yeah, I know he's kind of a weak branch, but didn't he tell you about these things? It's now what you do going forward. If you did not know this before, now you know. If you did know it before, what the heck are you waiting for? Okay? Feet, do your stuff. Get rolling. And refuse to be a person who views the Lord as a nasty, hateful guy and who feeds from your own flesh and does your inclination no matter what. I really am free of your blood now. And it really is your pain I'm thinking about. I've been dwelling on my own pain for decades. Your turn. Amen.